All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 2. We'll be starting with verse 23 and we get all the way to chapter 3, verse 6. Today, we are talking about rest. Today, we are talking about rest. And so you'll see this with uh, Jesus teaching on the Sabbath. But then next week, um, if you are reading, and I hope that you are, we're going to be getting through Mark chapter 4 and we'll talk about power. And we'll see how Jesus has all power and authority. So this week, rest. Next week, power. We're in the text going through, and what we'll see today, we'll see two things that make the Pharisees angry. Last week, we saw two things that make the Pharisees angry, and in the middle is one thing that makes the Pharisees angry. And so I get the idea of the Incredible Hulk, and you can hear him say when he starts to hulk up, you're making me angry. Well, that's what the religious leaders are doing right here. They're seeing Jesus and hearing Jesus, and he's, they're getting more and more angry, so much so, by the time we get to chapter 3, verse 6, they are plotting to put Jesus to death. you got to be pretty angry if you're planning on killing somebody. And so let's look real quickly at what is Jesus doing that makes this crew so angry. Well, first, we saw this last week. Remember the four friends lowered the man down that was a paralytic? And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. That makes the Pharisees angry because they thought they had all the answers when it came to forgiveness. And so they tell Jesus, you cannot do that. Only God can do that. And we know Jesus' response. He says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic to get up, take his mat, and go home. And that's immediately what he did. And so the authority to forgive sins was seen in the authority of Jesus to heal a man that could not walk, could not move. So that's one thing that made them angry. Secondly, they're mad at Jesus for hanging out with sinners. Remember, they're walking along the sea and he passes Levi, a tax collector, who turns out to be Matthew, who wrote the first gospel. He says, hey, Levi, come and follow me. And that's exactly what Levi does. He leaves his life of stealing from people and collecting taxes to follow Jesus. And later that night, there's a celebration in which all of these tax collectors and sinners gather around Jesus. And so here's the problem. You've got to see this. Jesus is hanging out with people that the Pharisees and religious people want nothing to do with. And they think Jesus should be hanging out with us, not them. And you guys know Jesus' response, right? He goes, hey, sick people go to the doctor, not healthy. And he goes, I've come to call the sinner to repentance, not the righteous. And in that, we see that no one is righteous, but some people think they are. And Jesus can't help you. If you don't see your own sickness, your own sin, do you have need for a Savior? And so Levi knew he was a sinner stealing from people. And when Jesus offered him the invitation, he jumped on it. But the religious leaders, the Pharisees, didn't like that. Number three, and this is one we haven't read, but it had to do about fasting. And they're mad at Jesus' disciples for not fasting. And Jesus is like, how can the groom fast when it's time for the wedding? It's like, this is a time of celebration. You see, fasting is to help focus on the presence of God. 
and the disciples were in the presence of God when they followed foot by foot, step by step, Jesus. And Jesus told them, there's going to be a time when they fast, but not while I'm here and not while I'm with them. You see, the religious leaders thought they could get close to God by fasting. The disciples knew they were close to God by following Jesus. Fourth, this is what we'll look at today, the number four, number five. They were mad at Jesus and his disciples because they were traveling and picking grain on the Sabbath. Jesus' response, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So then the Son of Man is even Lord of the Sabbath. And we'll explain what that means. The disciples weren't following the rules. The Pharisees were mad. And then finally, fifthly, they're mad because Jesus did good on the Sabbath. Here's a man with a withered hand. Jesus asked the question, is it lawful to do good or bad on the Sabbath? And the Pharisees don't answer him. And Jesus heals this man. The Pharisees are mad. It's an amazing thing how self-righteousness can lead you further and further away from God. The gospel reminds us of our need of a Savior. And when you see the grace that's extended to us in Christ, it changes what we do. And so today we're going to look at two things. One is a relationship status, and the second is a restful status. Right? How charged is your battery? And you're going to see both of these things are found in Christ. Your relationship with God only comes through Christ. And rest for eternity, but rest for today, only comes through Christ. And that's what we're going to try to do today. So right now, let's read through the, the first section. Mark chapter 2, 23 to 28. All right? On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when they were in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of presence. Isn't that interesting? They're eating the bread of presence, the presence of God. It's not there by accident. Which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest, and also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So then the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You see, the Pharisees had this idea that you had to obey certain traditions to please God. And their intention was good, right? God would give a command, and then they put this hedge of protection around it and some boundaries so you didn't accidentally break a command that God had given. I'll give you an example. Let's say, guys, you can only play the piano on Sundays. Right, So you can only play the, the keyboard, the piano on Sundays. And so what we're going to do, we're going to make up some rules to help us keep that. We need a wall. We're going to build a wall seven feet high, two feet wide. We're going to have one door. It's going to be a metal door, bolted shut, one key. Two people have to have access to it at the same time so that no one can accidentally go in and touch the piano. And as a matter of fact, just to be sure, this row would be moved back because these guys are way too close. And you never know, Josh Cobbins might get an itch to play a note. We can't have that happen because you can only play the piano on Sundays. And so we move this whole row back. But then, you know what? That's still too close. You guys aren't allowed to enter a building with a piano unless it's Sunday. 
And what happens is the tradition and the rules kept on building up and building up and building up. So the Pharisee said, you know what? On the Sabbath, you can only walk 1,999 paces. 1,999 steps. So you guys remember when we did the prayer walk to Holmes? We would not be allowed to do that. We could get to Holmes, but you couldn't walk to your car to go home. And you definitely couldn't walk back. That's too much work. And then the Pharisees considered picking up grain and eating it to sustain your body, harvesting a field. They put so many rules in, they forgot the command. Forgot, and, and that's what you'll see Jesus correct in just a, a little bit. The Pharisees are, are what you would call legalistic. You get to come to God based on how good you are. You get God if you're good. But if you can't follow the traditions and the rules that they put in, you don't get God. And you guys know this from Luke. Remember, there were two people that came to God. Jesus told them a parable. So, so listen to that because we have one of these two approaches. There's not a third. We have one of these two approaches. All right, so check this out. He also told them a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Now, when I hear that, it reminds me of what we covered last week in Mark, right? Who did Jesus come to? Sinners or righteous people? Sinners, right? Sick people. Healthy people don't think they need a doctor. Jesus dealt with this his whole earthly ministry. We deal with this still today. Two men went up to a temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. So right now, the people are thinking the Pharisee has an in with God, the tax collector has no shot. That's what the people are thinking, right? So, so maybe in, in our terms, we would say, hey, the guy that walks in in a suit and is here every Sunday has his Bible, compared to the guy that comes in with tattered jeans and alcohol on his breath, he doesn't have anything to do with God. That would be a modern-day translation for this. All right, but then we keep reading. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. That was his prayer before an awesome, holy, mighty God. He's like, thank you. I'm not like these guys. But tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven but kept striking his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, the Pharisees thought they were close to God based on what they accomplished. The disciples knew they were close to God because of who they were following. What's your outlook? What's your view? So we, we see that Jesus corrects their thinking two ways. He reminds them why the command was given in the first place. I think this is important, and I want you guys to hear this, especially some of the, the young guys and the young ladies in the congregation. When God gives a command, it's not to keep things from you, right? Because that's the first thought for most people. That's what Adam and Eve thought, right? Yeah, of course God said we couldn't eat of this tree. He didn't want us to be wise like him. Remember how Satan tempted them? Saying God does not want what's good for you? But you see, God's commands are always for our good and always for his glory. 
So when he says, hey, you're designed for this marriage and you're designed to have sex in these parameters and you're designed to treat people this way and you're designed to worship me and me alone, it's not to keep you from your best life, it's to show you what is your best life. And it's only found in the design God's laid out. And so here, what Jesus does is he corrects, hey, all of this stuff that you've put on the commandments that you think my guys are breaking, I want you to know something. The Sabbath was not made for man. Man was made for the Sabbath is not true. It's the other way around. God has given us a Sabbath rest for our good. And you see how the Pharisees were crushing the people with their regulations. I wonder if one of them came up and go, hey, Peter, how many steps have you taken today? Like, man, I'm not counting. I'm, I'm going wherever he goes, pointing to Jesus. You see, what was meant for the good of the people all was turned into a rule on rule on rule and was crushing the people. And so Jesus corrected their thinking. Hey, let's get this straight. This is why you're given the Sabbath. And by the way, the Sabbath is a good gift. Keeps your priorities straight so you don't chase after money seven days a week. Keeps your body straight so you don't overwork every day, every day, every day. Sabbath's a good thing given by God. The problem is when we make it an ultimate thing. That's exactly what Jesus was saying here. Then, he corrects who has authority. This is a power struggle. You see, the Pharisees thought they could tell Jesus how they should keep the Sabbath. And Jesus goes, hey, just so you know, I am Lord of the Sabbath. It would be like me correcting Michael Jordan after a basketball game. Hey, Mike, I know that you like to do your turnaround jumper, but you need to cut that out and pass the ball to Horace Grant. You know, I, I don't get to tell Michael Jordan how to play basketball. The Pharisees thought they could tell the Son of God the Word of God. And Jesus is like, hey, just so you know, my guys are fine. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I will say exactly how this day goes. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful. Jesus is the authority. And so that's the, the next thing the Pharisees got mad. But then let's look at verses 1 through 6. Oh, hey, did you catch that, the Son of Man again? We said last week how Jesus likes to refer to himself as the Son of Man. Does anyone remember from last week what that reference is to? Oh, man, I put myself out there on that limb. Anybody remember what book of the Bible we find that in, in the Old Testament? Daniel, right? And it refers to the king that is coming, whose reign will know no end. There's a reason why the Son of Man says he has authority over the Sabbath. Because the king rules his kingdom. And the Sabbath falls under his kingdom. All right? Now we get to verses 1 through 6. Jesus entered the synagogue again. And a man was there who had a shriveled hand. In order to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. He told the man with the shriveled hand, stand before us. Then he said to them, I love this, he asked a question. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or do evil, to save life or to kill? Pretty simple question, right? I could answer that question. If you give me two options, I'm going to answer this right. Oh, Jesus, do good. Uh, save life, duh. That's an easy... But these guys were silent. We'll check out why. 
After looking around at them with anger, he was grieved. I, I love how you see this. He's angry because they're missing the point, but he's also grieved for them. He's angry at what they are doing, but he's grieved at who they are. I think that's how you can help someone. You can be angry at what they're doing, but you're grieved over their, over their condition, and, and that will lead to compassion to change. But then we keep going. Why was he grieved? He was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Now, this is what I'm thinking. Was that much work? Jesus said to him, stretch out your hand. Doesn't sound like a lot of work. And the man was made well. Then we see how it ends. Immediately, the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might kill him. Now, do you remember the question Jesus just asked? Is it lawful to do good or harm? Is it lawful to save a life or to kill a life? He heals a man, and then immediately, so it's still the Sabbath. Immediately, what do the Pharisees do? They plot to kill Jesus. On the Sabbath day, they're going to come up with a plan to kill the Lord of the Sabbath. They're breaking the Sabbath. They don't care about it. They care about their rules and their power. And when Jesus comes, He's bringing people in outside of their power and their authority, and it makes them mad. He's saying, this is the only way to God, and the Pharisees can't stand it. That's a problem. Tim Keller puts it this way, Why does Jesus become angry with the religious leaders? Because the Sabbath is not about restore, or because the Sabbath is about restoring the diminished, it's about replenishing the drain, and it's about repairing the broken. And those who should have been shepherding the people were actually crushing the people. And Jesus says, "This is not the way. This is not the way." So this is the two texts that we're looking at. And I, I want us to, to see this because you get to this end. And, and what is everybody in the room thinking? I'm thankful I'm not a, a Pharisee, right? I think that's what most people would think. <clears throat> there was a good warning that, that I read about. I, I thought this was helpful. And then we'll get to our two application points. R.C. Sproul put it this way. We must guard against reading this text where the Lord is angry and grief-stricken over human sin and simply say to ourselves, oh, those bad Pharisees. When we do that, we are just like them. Rather, we should go to God in prayer and say, God, do not be angry with me. Do not let me give you cause to be furious with me. Do not let me grieve you because my heart is hardened. Instead, tell me what you want from me. Give me ears to hear and a heart open to embrace everything you say. That's a pretty good response to this text. All right, so let's be careful that we don't become Pharisees and looking at the Pharisees. All right, moving on. Relationship status. Um, th so there's two thoughts, right? One is gospel, one is garbage. You can go ahead and put that up. Garbage or gospel. And there's two choices when it comes to God, and you see both of them here, Right? So your relationship status with God, I looked on Facebook. How many options do you think you have on Facebook for relationship status? Eleven, including it's complicated, right? When it comes to 
Whether you have a relationship with God or not, it's very simple. You got two options. Yes or no. And these are the two options. Behavior changes your relationship, and that equals garbage. And most people in the world think they are okay before God because they're basically a good person. Garbage. Relationship changes behavior equals gospel. Equals gospel. Jesus transforms people. You have example after example. Jesus comes to Peter, Andrew, James, John, Levi, says, follow me. Their lives are transformed. The Pharisees are doing, 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 doing. They don't follow Jesus. They keep making the same mistake after the same mistake. Garbage. In your life, if you are living for the approval of Christ as the grounds for your salvation, it's garbage. You cannot do it. But if you are living for the glory of God because of what Christ has done for you, you understand the gospel. When you look at other people and you count them as, those guys are far from God, they don't have anything to do with God, you're living like a Pharisee. When you look at other people out there and you see them in need of grace, in need of an invitation from Jesus, you see the gospel. you got two options when it comes to enjoying a relationship with God. One's garbage, one's gospel. A couple of verses to, to see this. Uh, Paul makes it painfully clear in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, 8 is my favorite verse in the Bible. This is clear for us to understand. Philippians 3, 8. So if you're taking notes, write this down, get this into your heart. Philippians 3, 8. Indeed, Paul's speaking. And Paul just, if we're looking at resumes, Paul's resume is stacked. When you look at the Old Testament law and what the Pharisees were doing, Paul was the man when it came there. He had everything on his resume. And that's what he is referring to here. When you see, he says, I count that as rubbish. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for His sake. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I count them as garbage in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Now here's the key. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, doing and doing and doing. That's not why God counted him righteous. Why did he count him righteous? But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, for Paul, his righteousness, his right standing before God was given to him by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So that when he stands before God, God the Father sees God the Son's work and righteousness. Not Paul's accomplishments, which will never measure up. No matter how good of a person you are, it won't be equal to the holiness God requires, which is perfection. We've all sinned and missed the mark. But Jesus didn't. And when Jesus goes to the cross, He's taking our place and giving us His righteousness. That's what Paul is talking about here. And Paul's relationship with Jesus changed how he lived his life. Radically changed how he lived his life. Not just him. You see this in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. 
For you are saved by grace through faith. Relationship. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God, not a result of works. That's behavior. What comes first? Relationship. So that one may not boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's your relationship status. If you want to experience a relationship with God, it's only in Christ. There is no relationship with God apart from Jesus. So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life, no one comes to the Father except through me, he was not exaggerating. Everything else is garbage when it comes to a relationship with God. One thing is gospel, depending on the finished work of Jesus. So what is your relationship with God? That's first and primary when you see this text. It's all about relationship. And so I'm not worried about the alcoholic, the druggie, because if you don't know Jesus, I don't expect you to live different. The key is to get the gospel to people. And then Jesus changes hearts. And then changed hearts change behavior. And so as a church, let's remember this. Because if we didn't know Jesus, who knows where we would be today? Let's be gospel people. But then, secondly, let's look at a resting status. And the, the invitation is to rest in the finished work of Jesus. I was doing a, a little research for this, and there's a, a doctor. Uh, her name's Dr. Dalton Smith. She was doing a TED Talk, with which I know a lot of teachers are tired of TED Talks. This was a TED Talk. And she came up with seven types of rest that you need. Seven types of rest. Um, it includes mental, spiritual, emotional, social, sensory, creative, and physical. And the key is to identify where you're using the most energy in the day and what type of rest you need. Listen, I got tired just looking at the seven different types of rest that you need. But she said some things that were very, very honest, very, very true. Many people, she said, suffer from a rest deficit because we do not understand the power of rest. I agree. I agree with that. She also said, it is time to get the right type of rest. It is time for a rest revolution. I agree. You need the right type of rest. But it's not found in longer vacations. It's not found in binge-watching a Netflix series. It's not found in better sleep. It's found in a person. It's found in the Lord of the Sabbath. And this is what I mean. We see this again and again in the Bible. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. If you want to find rest, it's in a person, not an activity. Genesis 1.3, uh, I think, shows us, 131 shows us how to rest. So we know chapter 1, how God created the universe and all that's in it. You remember how he finished his work? Let me share with you. And then we're going to see the finished work of Jesus. And I want you to see the power of rest. Genesis 1, 31 to chapter 2, verse 3, it says this, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning on the sixth day. So he just finished in six days all that was created. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God completed his work that he had done, and then he rested on the seventh day from all of his work. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on, the, on that day he rested from all the work of his creation. And there's this type of rest that comes with a finished work, a finished project. Some of you know what I'm talking about, 
right? If you have an essay to write or an exam to take or a project to do, when you're finished with it, there's a type of rest that comes from being finished with the work. There's nothing more to add. There's nothing to correct. Whew, I'm finished. This is what God is talking about. And God is completely satisfied with his work. There's nothing else to add. He can rest. He's not tired. He's just happy with what he did. And now I want you to see this. We also see another time where God says it is finished. In John 19:30, these are the words of Jesus. He received a drink and then said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is when Jesus is hanging on the cross. And he was praying hours before this to let this cup pass, let this cup pass, let this cup pass. And the cup represents the wrath of the Father over sin. And he concludes his prayer with, not my will, your will be done. And he marches to the cross. And he completes the work the Father sent for the Son to accomplish. You see this also in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The Son is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Uh, why do you sit down? You sit down when you're finished. This is what Jesus has accomplished. The work of the Father. The reason you and I can rest is because of the finished work of Jesus. We don't have to earn God's approval. Jesus did that for us. And because we're accepted by God, now we can live for the glory of God. Not to earn salvation, but because it's been given to us. I can remember cutting grass for a living. You know, one thing that's different from pastoring and teaching, you never know when your work is done. Right now, you get summer break for teachers, but you know the next year is coming. And so sometimes you never know when the work is completed. But you know what? With cutting grass, I knew when it was finished. And I loved mowing a place, seeing the lines, the stripes that we made, all of the grass blown off the sidewalks and driveway, put the stuff back in the trailer, back in the truck. I get in, I shut the door, take a drink of water, and Dad pulls off, and you can feel the breeze. It's a we got it done. We got it done. Time to move on. We got it finished. You see, you, magnet, you uh, multiply that an infinite number. And that's the rest Jesus gives us with the completed work on the cross. Whew, I don't measure up. I miss the mark. But I'm so thankful for the work Christ did for me. When I stand before God, He sees the righteousness of Christ, and that brings us rest. We are satisfied with the work of Christ. It doesn't get any better than that. That's gospel. That's where you'll find your rest. One guy put it this way, Tim Keller, one more time. I think it encapsulates this text pretty well. It says, On the cross, at the end of His great act of redemption, Jesus said, It is finished, and we can rest. <coughs> If you rely on Jesus' finished work, you know that God is satisfied with you. God is satisfied with you. Now, that's one thing to know, but it's one thing to know. God is satisfied with you. You have His approval if you're in Christ.
You can be satisfied with life. On the cross, Jesus experienced the restlessness of separation from God so that we can have the deep rest of knowing that God loves us and our sins have been forgiven. That's gospel. Or the way Paul puts it in Romans, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's where you'll find your rest. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that we are clear on our relationship with you. That we don't think we're good before you because of what we do. I pray that we know we're accepted by you because of what Christ has done for us. And Lord, if there's anybody here that needs to make that decision today to turn from their sin and trust in you, In the finished work of your Son, I pray that they do that now. And then, Lord, I pray for rest. I pray that we know that you're satisfied with us because of what Christ has done for us. And I pray that transforms our hearts so that we can rest easy living for you and your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.